if you want to really make a successful B2B SaaS company, you either need to be one of the two types of products, um, at least for me. You either have to be like a workflow tool for somebody. So a workflow in the sense that you are the main tool that that person works with on a daily basis. Or alternatively, you need to be what I call like a very crucial invisible software. Uh, so you can think about the best case is various API companies like Twilio or AWS. Once once you start using them, they become so embedded and so crucial for your business processes, it's very hard to pull them out. Uh, but back to PipeTop, it was neither of these two. Hi, welcome to The Struggle, a production of the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStop. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this month's episode, I speak with Jacob Maroft, a serial SaaS product builder and growth consultant. In the last 10 years, he has worked for and with 15 SaaS companies, co-founding one of them, which was PipeTop. A computer science graduate by education, Jacob never actually practiced that professionally. Instead, his fascination early on was with product and growth. Jacob naturally evolved into a technical growth expert. I spoke to Jacob back in 2015 when he was about a year into his pipe top experience. At the time, things were going great. and He told me how he'd signed up his first 20 customers. Yet, as he told me in the conversation for this episode of The Struggle, making the lead generation SaaS database work as a business model was already showing as tough at the time. He and his co-founder persisted for another six months, but as Jacob admits in retrospect, they let it linger on for too long. Eventually, they folded the company. What's interesting is that pretty much every competitor they had at the time has gone to either fold to or pivot. In Jacob's opinion, the only company to figure that model out has been Clearbit. We talk in detail why PipeTop and others didn't make it, whilst Clearbit did, as well as a host of other valuable lessons Jacob's picked up in the joys and struggles from the past 15 years. As all the other guests on The Struggle, I've utmost respect for Jacob and his relentless devotion to keep going and keep learning. It's through the gumption of such trailblazers and their openness and honesty that the entire community evolves. We'll put many of them on six different stages at SASDOT this year. We've just launched our new website and have opened registrations for SASDOT 19 to head on there, have a look at our new online home and grab tickets to our Dublin conference at the best possible price. Now on with the show. Welcome to uh, The Struggle, brought to you by uh, SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Jacob Maroff, uh, SaaS Growth Consultant. Welcome, Jacob. Hey, it's great to be here. No, yeah. good, to, good to have you on. And, and again, um, another, let's say, first time on, on The Struggle, as it's a new show, obviously, but uh, uh, you've been on the SaaS Revolution podcast a few years back now, right? Yeah, I think I was one of the first ones. Yeah, definitely, definitely must must have been first year. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty sure on that. And and that was around, I think, getting your first ten or first twenty B two B sort of customers, and we kind of went through like a ten step sort of process or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll get back to that um, in a bit. Uh, for, for for those that don't know you, Jacob, um, you know who who are you? Where are you calling from? What's happening? Yeah, um, so it's, again, great to be here. Uh, my background is in computer science. Um, I never really did computer science professionally afterwards. Uh, I just got into 
startups and I tried to be as useful as possible and computer science wasn't my biggest feature, so to say. Um, so I quickly got into product and growth roles. So I kind of became like more like a technical growth um, expert. Um, and right now I'm, I'm in Copenhagen. I've lived here for uh, seven years before I uh, lived in London, San Francisco and Boston working for different companies. And so I've, I've been involved with like between 10 to 15 different SaaS companies so far. Uh, so I have a quite broad range of experience, um, um, like many, many sad ones or just like not, not super successful ones and also some very successful ones. Um, and I feel most comfortable, um, personally in, in like very early stages of a startup where I can kind of like find the biggest bottleneck of the company and kind of just insert myself into it and try to solve it. So I'm more like a jack of all trades type of guy. Uh, and on my journey, I've also, um, co-founded one company, uh, that was like a real funded company. And I've had a couple of side projects, uh, different small SaaS products. Uh, some of them still running. Yeah. So, um, so, so let, let's talk, uh, I, I guess obviously you've got this broad range of experience from, uh, the, the, the 10 or 15 sort of like SaaS companies that, that you've, uh, you, you know, work with across your uh, career, um, uh, both as like employee founder and, you know, consultant. And, um, the, the one that you mentioned that was, was funded and that you were a co-founder of that, that was PipeTop, correct? Yeah. So let, let, let's talk. Let's talk about a bit of uh, some lessons from PipeTop, but then also some lessons from uh, the experience from the. the I, I guess the, some of the SaaS companies that you've had exposure to mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, so, so it's not just the PipeTop uh, kind of journey and, and lessons, but but actually your your general kind of uh, thoughts and perspectives in in growing and, and, and struggling to grow, perhaps uh, uh, mm-hmm. SaaS companies in, in in many cases, right? So so uh, PipeTop, um, you when did you when did you found this company? What what was it? Why did you why did you uh, found it? I think it was late 2014. Um, so to give context about why, uh, I mean it's pretty easy. It's kind of like uh, it's it's a problem that every sales team. Uh, experiences and kind of still struggles with it's like how to find the right uh, we're trying to solve like how to basically find the right companies and decision makers uh, for sales teams to to target and so they they could do what we what people call now account-based sales or account-based marketing um, as efficiently as possible Uh, so we were kind of building like a very sophisticated database of companies with various attributes so you could just say oh i want to target um, e-commerce companies in Germany and UK that uh, spend more than $1,000 on AdWords um, and stuff like that and then get decision makers and so have a very targeted list of people to to approach. Um, so that's what that's what why why we started it. Um, and it sounds very sounds like a very cool problem to solve and like everybody can relate to it. Um Funnily, funnily enough, it's still still not solved yet um, in in a way that you think it should be, um, and it might never be completely solved because um, a lot of this data that you need is like currently locked down behind LinkedIn's walls, um, and LinkedIn kind of have like just decided to not make a decent product uh, on top of it. Um, for some reason i mean they're trying it's just not great um and then at the time of like 2014-15 there were many companies that were like 
approaching this problem uh, and trying to make a sense of this data and uh, also trying different go-to-market approaches. So ours, our approach was very, okay, let's create this database. Let's make like a SaaS product that people could just log in, um, make make filter, and then say, okay, we want, in, in this target companies, we want three decision makers um, and their emails and contact information and LinkedIn profiles and stuff like that. And it was working like that. Um, the problem became that um, what, I, what I later observed uh, is that if you want to really make a successful uh, B2B SaaS company, you either need to be one of the two types of products, um, at least for me. You either have to be like a workflow tool for somebody. So a workflow in the sense that you are the main tool that that person works with on a daily basis. Uh, that Like for a designer, that can be Photoshop or Sketch. Uh, for accountant, that's accounting software. Um, uh, for a for a salesperson that's a CRM, uh, that's a very good position to be in. Um, some kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, so, some kind of like main 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 tool for somebody in the in the organization. Or alternatively, you need to be what I call like a very crucial invisible software. Uh, so you can think about the best case is various API companies like Twilio or AWS or. Uh, even Clearbit, which I can talk a bit more about later, because they are once once you start using them, they become so embedded and so crucial for your business processes. It's very hard to pull them out. It's like you're forever in. So I think if you want to really make a and you can you can then think of different SaaS companies and B two B SaaS companies especially. I think most of the successful ones fall into one of these two categories, or maybe they are invisible for. Some parts of the organization, but uh, a workflow tool for the other. Um, so, for example, the the company that then I I later worked on uh, as an employee called Plio, uh, which was like um, automating expense reports with nice company cards. That was that's mainly invisible software for most of the employees, but a workflow tool uh, maybe for the accountant or bookkeeper. Uh, and that, that's what made it so powerful and like very hard to pull out of the company. Um, but back to Pipetop, it was neither of the, these two. Um, so it wasn't a workflow tool for anyone, and it wasn't invisible enough to be to not be able to pull it out um, um, from the company. So there were there were always alternatives. So like um, you know, just these various websites uh, promising you ten thousand leads uh, for very cheap price. Uh, and then even though we had better quality, it was, it became really hard to, uh, to compare your, ourselves to those offerings. Um, and, and kind of like people would also come on like, oh, we want just a batch of 1000 leads and then they're, they're away. And also kind of like, it was funny because like the better we did our job of like qualifying these companies, like the, their target market would be smaller. So we would be able to charge less. Um, so we, we couldn't really find, we struggled a lot with kind of like how to package the data that we collected in a way that it would bring recurrent revenue to us. Uh, so we would, we would constantly be struggling with churn and people coming back after a few months. Uh, it, it just became really hard to, we, we got to like $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue, but it became hard to sustain that and really grow fast. 
because of the, the churn problem in this uh, segment. And I think um, if you look at the, at the companies in our cohort that were trying to do the same uh, with even much, much more funding, because we only had like half a million in funding, uh, like Mattermark and, and similar companies, they, they all had to fold in a way um, because nobody could figure out a really good go-to-market strategy. Um, except one, which is Clearbit. Because uh, like, un- uh, like under the hood, they were kind of doing the same stuff, all of us, but they packaged it in an API. They became invisible software for a lot of fast-growing uh, startups uh, starting in, in, in Silicon Valley where they have like a lot of inbound leads. Uh, so they helped them qualify those leads, um, and it was really hard to pull them out then. Uh, and they were enriching their Salesforce data and stuff like that. Uh, so they just had like a much better go-to-market approach, and now they're a very valuable company. Yeah, I think uh, I mean Clearbit just raised. They uh, they they had initially like a seed or a Series A, and mm-hmm. we're going to uh, bootstrap from that that point on. But they 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 just raised like a pretty decent round this week, I think. Right. So, mm-hmm. So um, uh, yeah, no, interesting. And as, as you said, I mean, it, uh, it, it, it sprang to my mind as you, as you were speaking. Like companies like I think Matamark. Would, would you say even is Datanize like a similar? Yeah, Datanize is a similar case. I think they were also sold for not not much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are a couple of others, and then you actually have in this cohort a few that successfully pivoted away from from this uh, problem. Mm-hmm. So, for example. Um, Sales loft, right? Yeah. Uh, they started actually solving this particular problem. They quickly moved away from it into a, 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 a workflow tool, a workflow tool for uh, sales development reps uh, for like email cadences and, and calling out, which became like the main tool for those people, for those teams. And now they're also a very valuable company. Yeah. Um, so I think that was that was one of the. Now looking back, I realized. When you're doing, if you're doing a B2B SaaS company, you really ha- have to be either one of one of those two, uh, and be honest with yourself. If you're not, like, how do you become one? And and not just chase chase a problem because a lot of people tell you it's a problem. It might not be solvable, or may- maybe it's not solvable by you, or maybe it's not solvable by right now. Um, I think that's that's a very interesting thing that I learned. It's like just because you're doing a startup and you have this idea. It's not like a video game where you know that you can finish it, that you can win. Like, just because you're you're solving a particular problem with a particular solution, it might not be winnable. So uh, pre-product market fit, I think you always have to kind of be honest with yourself and ask yourself, are, are we on a path to, to, to actually be working on something that is winnable and not just have like a fake plan? How long did you persist with uh, with PipeTop? Too, you kind of came to the realization that like this is this is not winnable. Um, it was like one year and a half down the road. Okay. Uh, so we spent we spent too much time on it. Um, and the problem is also because so uh, we we started scaling on the engineering side a bit too quickly. Um, that, that becomes a very big problem pre product market fit. I would like just say to everybody, like, try to stay as as lean as possible. Don't hire almost anyone before pre-product market fit. Um, because it becomes much harder to do any any sorts of big pivots uh, when you have uh, more more people on board. Uh, or it just, like, takes way more energy, like, way more. 
Um, did you did you feel like obviously having raised the the, the half a million um, that you you had to kind of just try and solve this and give it as as long as you as long as you could, uh, or or do you feel that even with the money in the bank that actually well. We, we could kind of realize like sooner that um you, you, you know like we can shut this down and either we've spent the money or we can give some of it back like was there this added pressure yeah i mean of course you you try to give it a go sometimes unreasonable go um and, and you also incur some cost um because um you know the longer you work on something the more time you pour in the more employees you convince on a, on a particular story and vision the harder it becomes to turn around or even go back to investors and say, Hey, we just don't know what to do. Uh, or like we, we've looked through all the options, but there is nothing that makes sense. And that becomes uh, super hard. So you kind of like, you go, you, you usually tend to go, yeah, too far. Uh, and then you look back and you're like, Oh, this six months we could have, we could have avoided that. Um, I mean, I even had an instance where like, uh, where we, we hired a CTO that would supposed to start like a few months in advance. Um, so like we would hire him in, in February to start in, in June. And when June came, like he, he quit his job and everything. Uh, he was supposed to relocate to Copenhagen. And then I had to go back to him and say, we actually, we are stopping this. Um, that, 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 that's, that's tough. Yeah. 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 Okay, no, uh, okay. So he was supposed to move with his wife and everything. Um, yeah. When, when he did stop, was it, was it just the, the co-founders in the company? Uh, I mean, like for, for those sort of 18 months, like what, how many people did you hire and like how many people did you have to let go if you did hire anybody? Uh, I mean, it was not crazy because we didn't have that much money. Uh, max we had like eight people. Uh, so that's what we had to let go in the end. Uh, and we also, we stopped before we, we burned all the money. Uh, so we returned some money to investors. Um, actually like, like yeah, around 200,000. What did, um, what did you, what did you do with the money? What did it enable you to do? Just obviously just continue to like pay yourselves, keep the lights on, uh, invest into the products. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, in those 18 months we were, yeah, investing in the product, um, and sales, uh, that, that was, I mean, that's what matters. Like you build a product, you talk to customers, you try to figure it out at the end. Um, you obviously don't just give up, but you try to f- think of ways how we could do a minor pivot or how we could package it differently. Uh, but nothing really made sense. And, and so in the end we had to go back to investors and say like, Hey, we looked at all these scenarios, but nothing really makes sense. Like, and, and if, if the founders don't believe anymore, you, you, you need to shut it down. Um, that's the only option. What were, what were some of the, I, I, I imagine like during this whole process, like you, you, you've you learned a lot, right? And mm-hmm. uh, what were some of the best kind of like learnings for, for you, I guess kind of putting a, like a, a positive kind of spin on it and like perhaps some of the, those learnings that perhaps were, are like just, uh, well, some that personal to you and some that would be like applicable perhaps to, um, you, you know, those that are uh, in, in a similar stage of the journey. I think we, 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 like in the startup world, we start to a bit underestimate the planning phase and just kind of like, uh, when you're deciding, okay, we're, we're going to tackle this problem, really 
you know, think, think a lot about it because that's going to be the cheapest um, investment you can do. Uh, even if it takes you one, one month or two months to just do a proper research. I mean, that's in a, in a, in a way, business plans do make sense in a way, like, because, um, so there, there's this, uh, blog post from, uh, Chris Dixon, quite a, quite a famous one called idea maze. And it, um, and cause, cause, uh, he also talks about it. Like, you know, uh, there is, there's this mantra about execution is everything in startups, but actually, having the really good idea and uh, some, some kind of special insight that other people don't have. Uh, and then like a coherent plan that actually makes sense that you actually believe in. It's not just like a story for investors. That's super important. Like I wouldn't start a company without that uh, anymore. Uh, like you need to have a coherent plan. Like you need to have like a Elon Musk 2006 type of blog post that you can write we're like, this is our 10 year plan. You know, even if you're wrong, you, you should have something like that. I, I think like the best, the best, um, the best entrepreneurs can kind of like envision the future, be right about it. And then be also the first together. Um, and I think, I think you need to, it, it's really like looking back. I mean, you think you're just like, wasting time um, instead of coding you're, you're like doing this research but it's like probably the best investment you can do like really try to understand what is the competition what have people tried before how are they solving it now how are customers solving it now like and really have a good plan of like why you're something special uh like why why do you have this like or do you even have this special insight otherwise it's probably not the best idea to even start um I mean, yeah the 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 day that it came to obviously you, you know shutter the business um like how how did how did you feel i mean how can you you share like was it was it you know bittersweet uh was it uh did you just feel like terrible and have to kind of like go lock yourself away for a, a few days and not speak to anybody or, or did you kind of like, like what how how did it affect you personally and i think i was relieved uh in a way because like you you can feel it like like you're in your gut you feel it two months before you just you know you, you have to give it a bit of a go and and try to think of ways to save it but uh in the in the end i think i felt relieved that people can stop working on a thing that i don't believe in anymore and that they can, uh, we can help them find jobs where they would be working on something that would be meaningful for, for actual customers. Um, and I also think the other, the other employees can feel it as well. I mean, they just won't show it. So like in a way it was actually a relief for everybody, even though we had a really cool team, um, that hopefully one day I can assemble again. Uh, but, uh, if you don't have a really good idea to put them on, like then I would rather help them find like the best job of, of for their current situation. And that's, that, that's what, what we immediately started to do. Just and, inter, introductions to other companies. And are you, are you in any way obviously like, you know, pr proud of the, the, the experience? So like your feelings now, when you look back at it, you like, I was a co-founder and I took it, you know, 18 months and this is a great, experience and great you know part of my journey or do you look do you look back at it fondly or, or not fondly 
I mean, I'm, I'm not proud of it. I mean, like, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm happy that I've had this privilege uh, of, you know, somebody giving us quite a big amount of money and us trying. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm proud of it. Like we, we should have folded earlier or we should have made a, a very big pivot earlier when we still could. Um, like, I'm in no way proud. Like, um, and I also don't understand this when people say like, you should be proud of your failures. Like, you, because it's you can you can learn from it, but like it's hard to be proud of, you know. Um, but I'm 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 very grateful for the for the experience, um, and I'm still in good relationships with both the the investors and co-founders and, and all the employees. Um, and you 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 bounce back pretty quickly. Obviously, I mean, you're 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 a smart guy with a lot of experience. You, I think, was it Plio was the the the, the next move after, or, or was there one before? Uh, yeah, I was I was trying a few small uh, SaaS projects in between uh, within the the current invest investment uh, setup um, at Founders here in Copenhagen, uh, but then like. But basically one floor above us, Plio, Plio was starting to really take off. So I was like, maybe we should join forces. Um, and it, it was, this is kind of my, my first experience with real product market fit. Um, where it's kind of like, you, you're not really worried. And it, like, it's a completely different mind, like mindset and set of problems where you're not worried about, are we doing the, something right? It's more like, how can we scale these fastest? How can we set up processes? How can we enable ourselves to hire more people and to kind of like uh yeah be able to hire them systematically and scalably um and how can we make this like a billion dollar company then you're, you're not you're not thinking anymore can we survive it's it's like it's a you have to do like a very big switch so um, let, let's let's talk about your views on, on product market fit because uh, I, uh, I know that you have some some strong views around that uh, <laughs> I mean, one thing is that you should just always be really honest with yourself, with your employees, um, with investors. I mean, hopefully you don't have too many employees before product market fit. Hopefully you don't have too much investment before product market fit. Um, and then and up until then, it's more like an art. It's like, I don't really care how you get there. Um, like the, the team obviously kind of matters, but it doesn't like, even if you outsource it somewhere, uh, like, if you can start to sell it and you see product market fit, that's cool. But once you have it, then you need to worry just about, then it's, then it's really about execution, like, and how to hire really, really the best people. Because um, if you, a lot of companies make mistakes there and then they, they get to product market fit, they get a lot of investment and then they hire people too quickly or they, they hire too many people and make compromises. Uh, and that, that really hurts them down the road when, when we're there, 100 people and the quality is just not there. And then that's really hard to reverse. It's like you're a Titanic already, like super hard to reverse. Um, so I think the most important thing also for, you know, boards and, and advisors and investors is to encourage people not to hire so much, but to hire really diligently. And if you can't fill a certain position, just don't do it. Um, after product market fit, like really don't, don't settle for just mediocre, but go for, go for only the best. Uh, like there is a good heuristic from the, uh, from the Stripe guys. It's like when you're, 
um, trying to make a decision around a certain hire, think about if if uh, when you're hiring her, think think if you're hiring ten of her, um, you know. And then when when you have like a hire that you're kind of like that you kind of like know that you're making a compromise, but when you see okay, we would then hire ten of her, then then the, the decision becomes obvious. Of course, no. It's of course no. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's, and also like, uh, I think when you have product market fit, you, you really feel it. Um, like there is a really good, uh, presentation that people can search online from the segment, uh, founder. I think it was, I think I listened to it at SAS talk actually. Yeah. yeah um, he, he, he's, he's, he did a sort of keynote around that sort of blog post and the, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the different multiple pivots that they had. Yeah. Right? I think if if you're asking yourself if you have product market fit, you don't have it, and I think um, up until then you have to. It's it's really an art. Try to sell. Try to pivot more more aggressively. Uh, probably like small pivots are not going to help you uh, then. Um, and just and and one, once you get to product market fit, it's all about a team. It's all about a team. Um, what what about uh, I know as we we we're, we're sort of coming. Um, uh, so to the, the the end of the time uh, for, for the podcast, but we still got enough for, for a few more questions. But so, like you, um, your, your sort of mental, physical well-being, you, you know, as you, you've gone through, uh, I guess, like the pipe top experience, and it, it, even sort of like currently, like how do you, how, how do, you, what do you do, you know, for yourself to to ensure that you know mentally and physically that you, you know you're you're able to cope whilst you're either running a business or um, you, you know within growth teams, etc. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing, nothing special, just like eat, eat healthy, a lot of, lot of greens, um, not too many burgers, uh, do daily exercise. Don't drink too much. That's kind of it. Um, it's very simple. It sound, sound yeah. And also kind of like, just try to, uh, try to not expose your calendar to like outside bookings too much, you know, just be able to have, big stretches of time where you can focus on the, on the single most important task. Um, because if you're just jumping from like a meeting to meeting, um, and then you have this blocks of like 40 minutes to work on something, you you become very inefficient. How many, how many hours a day did you work when you were, uh, on pipe top and how many, how many hours a day do you work? So now is it, I think it's kind of constant around 10 ish, but it's also like, I'm kind of on, like all the time. Uh, so maybe even if I'm not working, but for me, it doesn't feel like very stressful. Like if I have to answer a, a Slack message in the night, or if I have to jump on a quick call, especially with a potential customer, that's like, I'm always excited about that. Like that's what, that's what I get energy from at least. Yeah. I, I, I remember in the, like, I mean, you, you know, when, when I was starting Sascribe and, and Sastock and I think that's when we first connected uh, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we, we were chatting online and there, it was often sort of like very, very late, like not too late, not past 9 PM, but you were seeing as Copenhagen is one hour ahead of UK that you, you, it was like 9 PM for you. It was 8 PM for me. And uh, I was like, oh man, that's crazy. This guy's still still working, still online. But uh, uh, as you say, maybe you're you're, you're always on. Um, 
What about, I mean, sort of like, um, would you, I, I guess maybe you sort of alluded to it. You, you talked about like the eight great people that you had at, at Pipe Top and, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you had the opportunity, you'd like to work with them again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you think like you you, you haven't been put off uh, starting your own business? Is that an ambition to to to, to do it again at some point, or or are you, uh, are you are you on a different path at the moment? I would love to. I would love to start. It's just like um, I think it's a very bad idea to just start because you want to start. Yeah. Um, like I've tried that, and it's a bad idea. <laughs> um, it's like. You need to have, as I, as I said before, you need to have some kind of unique insight. That's why, like, I try to now work with many different companies uh, and also like learning from their experiences. Uh, and you see a lot of unsexy, I mean, a lot of very cool companies being built on unsexy and unsexy markets because there is no competition. They just had like a very good insight, uh, you know, and, and you can kill it. Um, you know, you can be a very successful B two B SaaS companies doing software for veterinary clinics, uh, which I found like two weeks ago. Um, and you can t- completely kill it. Like there is nobody else. Um, and it's a big market. So yeah, I would love to do it. It's just like, I need, I need to get a unique insight. I need to have some kind of like a secret or like as if Peter Thiel would put it. Uh, and I think also that's why like startup studios or incubators almost never work because it's like, it's just super difficult to get some kind of, you know, unique insight when you're just like sitting, uh, strategizing or brainstorming uh, behind four walls. Um, would it, would e founders disagree with you? I mean, they've they've, they've had a lot of successful companies, right? Well, I mean, that's, I, that's why I said all, almost never. Almost, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had the, 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 I had them in mind yeah, yeah. when I said that. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Like lately, also they don't have like really amazing ideas. <laughs> <laughs> But like, I mean, I think it becomes hard over time. I mean, maybe you have like two, two, three really good insights uh, from your previous jobs. Um, it it becomes successful, but then you kind of have to find a way to. I don't know exactly how they do it, but like you have to kind of find a way to assimilate ideas from from outside or get in uh, entrepreneurs in that, that come with a certain insight, um, and then then you kind of help them out um, because it's just like. Um, you know, in, in the beginning, every idea seems pretty, pretty stupid and like pretty unreasonable. Um, like, why would you do that? Uh, and it's only founders that have this insight. And for them, for them, it seems like, of course, it's going to work because they have this insight and they can see the future. As I said before, they can predict it. And if, if they're right, like it, it, it turns out they're geniuses. Uh, but, and, and that's why also for founders, the, the risk doesn't seem that great if they have a very good plan and a very unique insight. It's like, it's obvious. Um, so, but, but you do have to kind of possess this insight. It's, um, it's, it's really hard to just start, uh, you know, I, w- I want to start a company cause you're, you're going to end up building like another project management, uh, tool. Like, like you're, you're going to end up building like some kind of generic thing. And uh, that many people have tried. Maybe, maybe you can do it, but it's just very hard. Um, there's a lot of competition. And uh, I, I know it's uh, like uh, difficult, perhaps, to give like you know just one 
uh, one piece of advice to, you, you know, uh, I guess uh, uh, founders and people that you've never met uh, before, but, you, you know, based on your experience, based on your knowledge, uh, you, you know, as well, like um, uh, for SaaS founders that are, that are building and start, starting companies, um, you, you know, what would be the, the one key piece of advice uh, from Jacob Merrill? Um, I don't like, try to have like a regular cadence of zooming out and being honest with yourself, investors, employees, co-founders about where, where we are on the journey. Um, are we, are we pre product market fit? Are we getting close to a product market fit? Are we post? Because, uh, the, the things that you need to do in each of those stages are completely different. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be my, my single piece of advice. Just like be honest. Uh, and if you, if you don't, if you don't have it, you don't have it, like work on it uh, or do something else or join another company that has it. Like, it's very fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> sound, sound, uh, sound advice. Well, um, Jacob, you, you know, always a pleasure, uh, to speak to you. Um, hopefully see you back at SASTOP maybe this year. Uh, awesome. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll invite you along. And, uh, um, yeah, really appreciate you being on the, uh, this episode of The Struggle, uh, Jacob Maroff, uh, uh, SaaS growth consultant uh, extraordinaire. Look forward to when, when the secrets, when you find the secret, what the next uh, uh, Jacob Maroff startup is, uh, is going to be. Um, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me be here. Uh, see you soon. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of The Struggle with Jacob Maroft. I encourage you to check out the episode I recorded with him in 2015, which delves deep into the go-to-market strategy of what was arguably a hard sell with Pipe Top. So loads of valuable lessons within that episode. Thanks for listening and see you next time.